0: Good to see half of your faces again this morning. Welcome, welcome. Uh, Nancy and I are headed out for some vacation uh, after today, so we won't see you for a few weeks. Gary will be preaching, and then at the end of that time, John Stetson will be preaching. I don't know if you've met John. Uh, John and his wife have been coming, attending this church for some time now. He's a retired Nazarene pastor. And uh, I'm sure that you'll enjoy that message as well. Today is Confidence Day. I'm glad you came for Confidence Day. We've been spending our time in this subsection of Scripture, which is Romans 5 through 8. It's sort of a compact thing all by itself. and It talks about the way people are saved, the way people experience God, the way people come to Christ and the way they live. Once we get to chapter 9, Paul's gonna sort of adjust the channel a little bit and take up some other things, but this passage of Romans five to eight is significant. And, and the order of things that Paul lays out is this. We recognized we were in chains. We were in bondage to sin and death. We had no life in us. We were stuck in a small and narrow place until by the decisive activity of Jesus Christ, those chains were broken and we were free from the domination of sin. Our body was continually conspiring against us to do the wrong things, to be self-centered, to be self-oriented, until Jesus came and made it possible for us to be free from the law of sin and death. And now we have a choice. Now that we've been freed by the work of Christ and by faith, trusting in his promises for us, we leave that place and we walk a new direction. And we've been walking by the Holy Spirit, by his guidance, by his promptings, by the light that he sheds on our path. So we're walking with the Spirit. He's pointing out a direction. We're following his light, and we are engaged in useful service. That takes us up to the middle of chapter 8. But then we're confronted by some hard things. Let me pick up the reading at Romans 8, 26. This is Romans 8, 26 Likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we ought but that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words and God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God we know that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of sword? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're walking with the Spirit, but we're confronted with hard things from time to time. We're suffering, perhaps the sufferings of Christ, perhaps simply the sufferings that come common to all humanity, I mean, we understand as Christians, we don't have exemptions from the sufferings that are common to all humanity. We all are going to die in this lifetime at some point. And we don't think because we came to Christ that that death will necessarily be painless or not difficult. We will experience the loss of our loved ones. These are terrible things, but common things. It's possible to be both common and terrible at the same time and we will experience those things. But in the face of all of that, we have some promises. But we should consider what the nature of the different things we will confront really is, what they really are. Sometimes situations are more complicated than we can understand. Sometimes our own understanding is flawed, and we think we understand things that we really don't understand. We assign motives or or reasons to things, saying, this is why that happened, and it might be true, but it might not be true. Sometimes situations are simply overwhelming or frightening or threatening. Often we just don't know what is best. I've been in the position of being asked to pray for healing for people that i know did not want to be healed and were not likely to be healed i've also been asked to pray that jesus would take a relative home who wasn't quite ready to die but had become an inconvenience to the family i mean sometimes we don't know best how to pray and one of the things that paul tells us in this passage which is a big relief to me is we don't have to worry about that because our success doesn't rely on our praying exactly right. Thank heavens for that. When we can't figure out what is best, when we can't figure out the next step, when when we're not sure how to pray, we can rely on the character of God and the intercession of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says here. God and the Spirit, they know one another's minds, And the spirit always prays consistently with the will of God you've probably heard some folks say well you shouldn't really add that phrase if it be your will because that's just sort of like hedging your bets and not being uh, uh, not being you know confident enough to take a stand well let me tell you if the spirit thinks it's important to always pray according to the will of God it is certainly appropriate for us to always pray in ways that we believe are consistent with the will of God or are submitted to the will of God because He knows and all we really know is what we want, whether it's for the best or not. When we can't figure out the next step, relax and count on the character of God and the intercession of the Holy Spirit. That's what verse 26 says, right? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes for us with words and sighs too deep for words. Remember, this Spirit, this Holy Spirit, is trying to accomplish through us the very same mission that we've been given so that we know our prayers and the Spirit's prayers are aligned when we are approaching the mission that Christ has given us. When we're attempting to follow the light of the Spirit, we know the Spirit is wanting us to follow the light of the Spirit. So our prayers are aligned in that. And we can take confidence in knowing that the Holy Spirit is praying for us, that He is at work in us, romans 28 which is nestled neatly inside this passage is one of the most popular verses in the bible in its popular expression people use it to say that everything has a purpose and that god causes everything to happen to us for some good reason we wesleyans don't embrace that line of thinking we take sin seriously in this world sometimes things happen as the result of sin and evil or because of the will of humanity many of those things are not caused by god and are not desired by god in fact god is working full time to redeem those things that sin and evil and humanity cause in this world that are so far far short of his glory What we Wesleyans believe is God is working to redeem all things. He's working full time. We believe he can redeem everything. We affirm that God can take whatever mess we bring him, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, and he can redeem that. He can turn our lives around the moment we acknowledge him and bring good from whatever remains. He's the one who can take the years that the locust has eaten and destroyed and bring us good and bring us prosperity and can bring us renewal in Christ. We can rely on him. You know, it's interesting to me that the process of redeeming all of our brokenness is the flip side of the coin of his transforming work in our lives. He is redeeming what was lost, but he is also transforming our character at the same time. And those things work together for our good. One thing I think is interesting about this passage is is woven into it is a statement about discerning the will of God for our lives. Now, I know at at different times... Okay, I have a confession to make i've been watching a netflix special it's called indian matchmaking has anyone seen it it is so enlightening this is the process of an indian matchmaker putting arranged marriages together and and the culture is obviously completely unknown to me I, i find it so fascinating and and what becomes really clear in this special is the anxiety of these young people. Like, what is right, is this the right person? How am I gonna make up my mind? And the pressure the parents are putting on the kids to get married, and I mean, it's hysterical. And I think back, yeah, I remember some of those days. I remember what it was like to be 16 or 17 and trying to decide you know, where I was gonna to go to college or what I was gonna major in or what my life was gonna be like, I mean, and those are, those are anxiety-ridden decisions. Those periods in our life where we're trying to discern what God's will is like, right? It's, it can produce a lot of anxiety, and it doesn't just happen between the years of fifteen and twenty-one or thirty. We face different transitions through our whole lives where we have this type of anxiety of what's the next step or or what's God's will for my life. Here's my firm conviction from this passage. That while all those things are important, every single stinking one of them is less important than what he says right here. This is verse 29. What's his will for you? To be conformed to the image of his son. That is God's primary will purpose for all of us. He wants to do transforming work in us so that we can become more Christ-like because in becoming Christ-like, he makes us someone who is useful to the world and to the society and to the culture and to our neighbors around us. Until that kind of transforming work happens in us, the rest of it is secondary because, candidly, he can work through pretty much any of that stuff if we have a transformed character. And my sense is, that when we are transformed in character and more aligned with the leading of His spirit those other pieces will fall in place more easily because we'll have a better framework for decision making he wants you to be a role model for the culture and he wants to be a role model for you that's what he's for us I think another significant piece of this uh, passage uh, relies heavily on this whole flow of the section of Romans 5 to 8 I mean the flow is this sin corrupts and ensnares. we are freed in Christ we follow the Holy Spirit he guides our mission endeavors our actions That bring the kingdom of God to those who are around us we in the process share in the sufferings of Christ Because that's inevitable for followers of Christ And once we are sharing in the mission of Christ and in the sufferings of Christ the words that remain in this passage are now promises the foundation, the gifts for those who are following Christ and sharing in his sufferings. These promises are not for couch potato Christians. An old seminary professor once told me that my job was to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. If we're not engaged in following Christ, what kind of comfort do you really need? Back in the day when they were actually uh, showing professional sports on television, I don't know what they're doing now, uh, I heard that they had like uh, pop-up fans in the stadium for the new Major League Baseball games, so I don't know how that uh, how was going to work. When I tuned into the Yankee game this week, they were on rain delay, so I haven't seen any of that. But But I can remember watching fans who wore to the game the helmet of their favorite NFL team the team they were watching they they had gone to the souvenir store and they bought a helmet and they were wearing you know the whatever team helmet on and I was thinking about what that helmet was like oh maybe they thought they needed a helmet to wear in the stands in case someone like threw a beer bottle down from behind them and it might hit them in the head or I, I don't know why I mean the helmet doesn't help you see better does it I mean, you don't get a better view of the, of the fans, of, of the, the athletes you paid to see because of the helmet. It doesn't help you hear better. So I, I'm wondering why the helmet. And there's something else I know about this helmet. The helmet you bought for $9.99 or $15.99, okay, $109.99 in the souvenir shop. Is nothing like the helmet those NFL players are going to wear into the game there's some serious science in that helmet it's got special padding special construction concussion protocol stuff I mean this is a work of science and what you bought in the souvenir shop and this are not the same thing at all in fact You couldn't even conceive of the concept of an NFL player coming, you know, he he got stuck in traffic, had a car accident, couldn't make it to the stadium in time, doesn't have his helmet. So he just grabs a helmet from the fan and says, I'll wear this into the game. That's not happening because this helmet is going to bring protection, right? This helmet, we don't even really know what that is, right? It's plastic. I mean, we don't know. These promises at the end of this passage are for Christians who are in the game. Okay? They're not for Christians who are sitting on the couch doing nothing. Or if what they're doing most strenuously is avoiding suffering, they don't need these kind of promises. But the promises that we're going to get now are for Christians who are in the The game. They're robust promises. They are confidence-building promises. They are designed to hold us steady in the most desperate circumstances. No matter how dark things get, no matter how desperate you become, no matter how impossible the situation you find yourself in, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. No exceptions. In fact, when you find yourself on God's side, victory is assured. What does Paul say? Who can stand against the children of God? Who can be against us if God is on our side? Now, it's important to know that that promise is for those who are on God's side, not for those who who pray that God will bless their plans and invite him onto their side. There's a difference, right? It's one thing to hear the voice of the Spirit and follow him. It's another thing to go where you want and ask the Holy Spirit to come with you. They're not the same thing at all. And as we walk in the light that the Spirit sheds on us, we are confident that we are doing his mission, and so the promises of these passages are in play for us when we step out in mission with the Spirit, what does Paul say? We are more than conquerors. We are secure in Christ, no matter the suffering. We know Christ is working through all that we encounter to bring about his redemption. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and who walk according to the Spirit. We, you and I, are being transformed to the very image of Christ, and we will be given a purposeful, meaningful life as the result of that. And nothing, nothing now, nothing tomorrow, nothing ever has the power to separate us from the love of Christ. Those are robust promises, and we have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ as we walk in the Spirit. And so the question is, are you feeling confident today? Have you embraced the promises of God? Are you walking in step with the Spirit? Are you wearing the helmet that He gave you to get into the game, knowing you'll need the full armor of God? Have you heard the voice of the Spirit? Are you walking in step with it? Those are the questions. This morning, I would like to invite you to stand with me as we affirm the great promises He has made to us. Of course you understand that this confidence is for those who are in the game. Which begs the question, if you haven't taken the steps yet to get into the game, what are the next steps for you? It may be sin still has control over you in different ways, and you need to invite the Spirit of God to free, forgive you and and invite you into his kingdom. It may be that you're still on the sidelines on the bench waiting to get into the game. You haven't really affirmed your absolute willingness to follow the Spirit. You're still not quite sure where you're headed, or maybe the decisions you're making don't reflect what you really want for your life. You still feel tossed and in turmoil. This moment is a great time to make a decision. You haven't asked the Father to free you from sin, and to accept you into his family, now is the time to do that. If you're still on the sidelines and you need to follow the Spirit, it's time to say, Spirit, what's the next step for me? And I promise you, the Spirit will reveal it to you. And if you take any of those steps today or in the next several hours, I would encourage you to send me an email and say, uh, Pastor Dan, can you help me figure out the next steps? Because I would love to pray with you about this. Because I am confident the Spirit will reveal all of that to you. That's the promise, right? He's already interceding with the Father according to the will of God for you. And so why would he conspire to conceal his will from you? He wouldn't. He's anxious for you to get into the game and to make a difference. In your family's lives, in your neighbor's lives, in the lives of this world. So I would encourage you make those decisions. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your robust promises. Thank you for the confidence we can have as we walk in step with your Spirit. Draw us closer and closer to you. Transform us to the very image of Christ so that so that Christ can be the role model for this giant family of folks who are becoming to look more and more like him every day. May we be among that number, Lord Jesus, to honor you with our lives. We pray this in your name, according to the will of the Spirit in conformity to your will. Amen. Now may the Spirit of God accomplish in you what is pleasing to him. And may you walk in confidence, knowing that nothing can separate you from his love. Amen.